Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, I read a portion of this passage a few weeks back, and, and I want to dive into it today because it's so good and it's so rich to see where this Christmas story that we hear about so commonly, where it started bubbling up in the hearts of people. So I just want to read it, Isaiah chapter 9. And uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with it, there's a lot of unfamiliar words, uh, and we'll try to answer some questions about those, but it's worth your time to go back and do a study of Isaiah 9 and see what it teaches you about, about Christmas, okay? So here we go. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Of those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation, increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. And here's the part you're so familiar with. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Would you read verse 6 with me if you're where you can see it on the screen? Are you ready? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called, ready? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. I love this. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now again, no doubt the most familiar part of that passage is the part about to us a child is born. We see it. On, in movies, we re read it at Christmas time. We see it in cartoons, as I've mentioned before. Uh, I, I love all the old Christmas uh, cartoons that were out when I was a kid, and I love Charlie Brown Christmas. And, and, and so much honor has been paid to this Christmas story in our land. We're very blessed. We're very fortunate. But particularly to this passage, to us, a child is born and these words are sacred. They're sacred to us that are in this room today. They're, they're sacred. They mean something to us. We hear it every year, and, and it means so much to think about the baby with his thumbs up being born. Nothing like a newborn baby. I don't know that guys feel the same way about them as girls do, because I think girls spend all their lives, you know, as children, many girls at least, 
looking for the day and dreaming of the day we're going to have a baby. But babies are something else, even to guys. They just melt your heart, don't they? They sort of break it in half. And the biggest and the toughest guy you've ever met will sort of melt in front of a baby and act tender and start making those funny gitchy-gitchy-goo sounds, whatever that is. And Babies just sort of melt us, don't they? Because they're so sacred. They're so fresh. They're so new. Babies are, are, are pure. And at least when they're brand new, they're unspoiled, right? We spoil them pretty quick, but they don't know about life. They're naive. They're, they're in this state that they'll never be in again. And we just work so hard to protect them. They're, as I said, they're sacred, babies are, and, and helpless. And, and what a strange thing to think about regarding a Savior who would change the world as, first of all, being a baby. This phrase, to us a child is born, is written by Isaiah, obviously. It's placed in the book, Isaiah, one of the great, great books of the Bible. He was a prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah, for those of you that know about that. And it's about the time that the northern kingdom uh, was falling to Assyria, or what we would call modern-day Iraq. And really, he wrote it at a time when there was incredible unrest in the land. It was it was horrifying. They were... They were being threatened to be destroyed, their way of life, their faith. And there's a king called Ahaz. He's the leader of Judah. And he's out of his mind, afraid. He's, he's under this imminent attack. And, and it's bad. And this passage of Scripture is very specific to, to reference these strange-sounding cities in the north, Zebulun and Naphtali. They sound like sci-fi cities or Star Wars cities. And it's describing parts of northern Israel in those days the part that would eventually become Capernaum. And they've already been overwhelmed by the Syrian culture and besieged. And when you're besieged and a new government starts influencing you, you know, you're, you're brought into a new culture, a new set of religion, and a new set of views. And this had influenced the people. The children of Israel, as holy as they were and as God called as they were, oftentimes were very quick to adopt the faith and the beliefs and the government of those that sought to overcome them. And that's a little bit normal. That's kind of what happens. Even though God always had a remnant of people that would serve him, the leaders of Israel had already bought into the heathen culture of Assyria. And, and Isaiah doesn't describe it completely other than just describing it as his darkness. But Matthew points it out later in Matthew 4. He quotes from Isaiah and he uses those same ancient names because to Jews in the time of Christ and certainly from the time this event or this sacred word was given until Jesus was born, this was considered sort of sacred geography that would teach a great lesson about falling away. Now, falling away is simply what sometimes in our modern vernacular we call it backsliding, kind of stepping away from truth or what you have known to be true. People have a tendency to do that. They have a tendency to fall away. One of the tragedies we've seen with faith over time is that generations tend to dilute their faith as they move down unless there is a real deep and wonderful move of God. So the great-grandparents would tend to be very strong, and then the grandparents, strong but less strong, on down to the parents. And sometimes generations would just completely fail. And one of the things we love about knowing Jesus is that the true fire of God can continue generation to generation. And we need to work hard to make sure that our children and our teens and our youth embrace the faith that we hold so dear because they will have a tendency 
to fall away if we don't. That's scary. And they had slipped away from a belief in the true God of Israel, the God of their ancestors. And it was bad. And the Bible teaches us that God wasn't happy about it. Just like he's not happy about sin in our world today. That doesn't make him happy. Doesn't make him happy that there's sin, that there's ugliness. And, and sometimes we sort of get deluded about sin and we think, oh, it's going to be okay because we have grace. That's true. But still, God hates sin. He hates it. And God's not happy with them. And he is literally allowing the judgment of oppression and the attack of these superpowers to take place to fall upon them. He's allowing it because they're not following him. That's when this prophecy was given. In this time of darkness. Real darkness. And that's the reason for the opening word, at least in this version of the Bible, NIV, Isaiah 9. It says, nevertheless. Or, but anyway... But in spite of that, nevertheless, God had a special word for them. Nevertheless, in this case, to me, is a word of grace. It's a great word. It's like everything has gone to a bad place. Nothing should be working out. Nobody's doing the right thing. However, in spite of all that is bad, God always has a plan to redeem. Always. In one of my churches in the past, there was a, a wonderful couple who had a daughter who was wrestling, deeply wrestling with addictions. It was horrible, and she would do okay for a while and then sort of fall apart. And we came to this moment where we're praying in their living room for her, and she's about to go into a hospital for an extended time. And, and the only thing I could think of was this. God always provides a way to be redeemed. It's going to work out if we will turn to God. So let's turn to God. She went through recovery. She continued to serve God. It was amazing. It was incredible because God always has a way of grace if we will turn to him. But they weren't turning to him. This plan that God had to redeem them had to unfold and it upset God that the plan that he had given them, they were ignoring. But in spite of it all, nevertheless, God had a plan to redeem. And, and Christmas is a reminder of that. I know we think about a whole lot of other things besides that when Christmas comes. I know you're busy this week thinking about the gifts you got to buy and the food you got to make and the gas you got to buy to drive up north and see your mama and all the things that are going to take place. It's going to be a busy week for a lot of people. But please, in your heart, don't forget that Christmas is a reminder that God always has a plan to redeem us, to save us. Who needs that besides me? Raise your hand if you know you need it. Yeah, of course, I need it bad. So how comforting is that to know that no matter what, there's a nevertheless that's there in my life because God's plan is bigger than my problems, my sin. And in this story, God uses this guy named Isaiah to tell us another story that's going to take place in the future about a hope that's going to come from an area called Galilee. That's in the north. It was a place uh, both in Isaiah's time and even in the time of Jesus where the Jewish people were kind of a minority. It's referred to an area of Gentiles because the Jews called anybody that wasn't one of them a Gentile, no matter where they came from. They were Gentiles. So it's a way of saying everybody else but us. And Galilee was a place where Jews lived along with the Gentiles, and different languages were spoken there. 
And, and they would speak the Aramaic and the Greek and probably lots of other languages as well because it's a crossroads uh, of, of all kinds of agricultural business and archaeologists have discovered great ruins there of, and, and could see sort of the international influence of this area. It's interesting. That's where Jesus came from. So while Jesus is a Jew in faith, culturally Jesus was grown up with a picture of a, of a diverse world. And Jesus' life and ministry was built in that culture from that place where a lot of people didn't even want to go. It's interesting how God did that. So God calls on his prophet to explain this to us. And in explaining it to us, he's trying to bring us hope. Now, he's bringing us hope because God knows that they need it, but there's people in the midst of that who recognize and love God, and want to follow God. They want to be good Jews. They want to honor God. They want to live in the tradition of Abraham. And they're seeing that they're in trouble. Their faith is in trouble. Their world is in trouble. So God speaks to Isaiah, and we get Isaiah chapter 9 for this king and for the people. And as this king heard it, I know he quoted it. I know that it's been quoted, obviously, in the centuries since because it's such a passage of hope. And again, the hope is going to be found in a future king, but the king would be a baby. And the passage is so beautiful. They're comforting words. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is, is given. He's going to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. That was a very soothing and calming sentence to hear for that king. And so Isaiah came to be known as a messianic prophet, meaning some of the deepest and significant words given to him from God were about predicting the coming of the Messiah. Messiah means promised deliverer. Everybody understood that word. They knew what it meant. And as they passed it on orally in their families, and as they read these wonderful writings, and as they sang songs about it, just like we do today, they're passing on the truth about the Messiah. And so those who wrote prophecies about the Messiah were called Messianic prophets. Some scholars also call this section of Scripture as the book of Emmanuel, the book of God with us. I think that's interesting. It's just rich in promise. And, And you and I can forget that promise because... We're on the other side of the story. We have it. We've already gotten the gift. We've opened it up and we've been wearing it all of our lives. But to them, they had never seen that beautiful package wrapped and beautiful and ready for them. Nothing like a present that you haven't gotten yet. Isn't that amazing? My son and I went shopping yesterday and I I still get kid-like when I go shopping for gifts. I, I just feel really special about it. And so the whole time he and I are talking about what this one special lady in our life would want and how she would feel about it. And, and we also discussed, as we should, what it would cost and whether or not it was worth it. You know, <laughs> And will the joy that's on her face compensate for the pain we feel as we pay for this gift today? So we discussed all of that. What do you think that's worth? You think that's the right thing? Do you think it's right? And we had taken a walk and discussed it earlier. And we had in our minds what we wanted to do because there is nothing like a gift that has not yet been given. Isn't it wonderful? That's the week we're in. I love it. Some of you are looking forward to things you're getting. Others of us are just going, oh, God, let's get it over with so we can pay the bills. 
Others of us are feeling so many wonderful things like, oh my gosh, I haven't bought anything. Let me tell you something. Nothing like a present that hasn't been given. But once you get the gift, it can easily get old. You know, what was so amazing on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning can become stale because you've seen it so many times. That treasured book or that special sweater or that thing that you wanted so badly. Once you get it, sometimes it loses value. And so sometimes I worry that we're people that are on the other side of the present and, and we can lose the value of this gift. So God's given us the scripture to allow us to go back and connect with our cousins, our ancestors, the Jews, and feel what they might be feeling. These Messianic prophecies, there's several of them that are rich in promise that God gave to Isaiah. In Isaiah 7 and 14, uh, God had him predict that Jesus would be born by a virgin. Imagine what people thought about that. Isaiah 9 predicted, as we read, that he would come from Galilee, this strange area. He should come from Jerusalem, I'm sure the Jews thought. Isaiah 9 and 6, the one we've been reading, predicted that he would be born a child. He would not only be king, but he would also be God. He would be a earthly king, and that's what they really were expecting. But more than that, he would be God in Isaiah 9 and 7, proclaims that Jesus would come from a line of David. Now that's just a few of the Messianic, the Messiah-themed and toned prophecies that are so rich. Guys, when these people heard these, this was like a hint of a gift that they were given. I'm not kidding you. Yesterday, Beth said, so tell me what you got me. Tell me about it. Maybe give me a hint. Let me know something. And I held back because I want it to be amazing. But there's a part of me that wanted to just tell her because I love that joy of see what I just did. I love that. But you know, sometimes you give a hint and, and you want to give a flavor of something. These were hints of a gift that was to come, a gift that they did not have. So for all these centuries, they talked about this gift. I'm hanging out in this historical context here today because I think it's important to try to understand these wonderful words that we hear today, how they would have been heard by those who were involved in that very first Christmas story or who were involved even in the centuries before the story arrived. Let me tell you what I do believe about those that believed God and loved the word of the Lord. This was holy and sacred to them. And they talked about it amongst themselves. They drank their teas, their chais, and they sat about as they shopped. And they discussed, what do you think about this thing that he would be born from a virgin? Oh, I don't know, sister, but it's going to be amazing, whatever it is. He's going to come from Galilee. I hear terrible things about Galilee. Oh, I don't know, but it just says he's going to be our Messiah. But he's going to be born. He's going to be a baby. Oh, I hope I'm alive to see that. That's amazing. Holy and sacred history. And so, guys, if you love the Word of God today and, and you love your Lord Jesus, I hope you'll adopt this as, as sort of a spiritual Jew and, and take this into your own heart as sacred history as God gave them hints about the great gift that was to come. And I hope that you will try to recapture that moment before the gift is given. 
And so in Isaiah 7, a couple chapters before, we learned that the king of Judah, again, Ahaz, he's scared to death because of what's about to happen. He, he doesn't take comfort from God when God says everything's going to work out. It's going to be tough, but it's going to work out. Even though Isaiah gives him these scriptures and God says that he promises light to come and, and the one who brings the light is going to put an end to war, going to put an end to oppression, and going to put an end to darkness. Those were great words words to King Ahaz. Great words. You mean things are going to work out? Not in your lifetime, but yes, they are going to work out. So he was being called upon to carry the gift forward as a king. And it was up to him if he was going to be inspired to believe that what God said was true. All these wonderfully chosen, carefully written poetic words were written specifically to them to help them understand what they were about to face was not going to be the end of it all. And what we have to interpret so difficultly, they understood. These are words they related to. There would be no more need for boots and weapons and battle gear. Those things could be burned, as was the tradition, to burn them. I'm telling you, he's saying something amazing to them. Imagine saying today, there will never, ever be another war. Imagine how good that would be. See, we're still waiting on some of these prophecies to come true, so we're sharing in this. We've inherited it. The the prophecy paints a picture of a mighty conqueror, a leader to end it all. The government's going to rest on his shoulder. Everything is going to work. It's a promise that God has given to the people in the very midst of a threat of invasion. And he explains how it's going to come about. Here's how you're going to be saved. A child will be born. There were some tough soldier dudes that wondered if God was thinking right when he said that. There were some tough soldier dudes that just wanted to get right to the conqueror part. These are tough times. And you're telling me I need to look forward to a child, a son, that the conqueror It's going to be a baby. You and I get it. But this had to be something to them. And this would be an amazing child. He would be a blessed prince, a mighty king. There would be a reign of peace. These promises have sounded wonderful to Isaiah's listeners. And guys, they sound wonderful to us because we're still hungry for some of that. So for them, they were about to have this overt government, political overthrow, but it was also a spiritual overthrow because where does my faith go when a conquering nation comes in and destroys everything symbolic to my faith? There are people in our era that have experienced that. Imagine what that would feel like today with no hope. So Isaiah uses words that are political. He calls him a prince. Talks about a government, a government that would rest on his shoulders. But he also uses these spiritual words like he's going to be a mighty God and he's going to be an everlasting father. These are all deep and rich and wonderful words that you should study. These wonderful children of God needed hope. They needed practical hope. But more importantly, they needed spiritual hope, just like you and me. And so to understand this Christmas prophecy, you need to see that these words of hope came came to Isaiah, came to the people. They came stuck in between the warnings about impending doom. Bottom line, spiritually, Judah and Israel needed to return to God. Their sins had led them away 
from the safety of God. And for them, God was sorrowful, but he was also angry. And we get confused about this idea of an angry God, but God cannot face sin. He's holy and pure and perfect. And it's not meant to just target human beings for the sake of human beings. God knows that sin is bad for us. And my friends, there are so many around us who also need to return to God. And their sins have led them away. And some of you have experienced this when your sins led you away from a place of safety with God. It's a horrible place to be. We've all experienced it. We know what it's like. And you see people around you that you know, if only they would find Christ, if only they could come to know this Jesus, they would have hope and they could rest in something amazing. And that right there should also light up our hearts as we pray for our community, as we pray for the people in their houses that are represented by all the rooftops, the growing number of rooftops that are around us. We need to be praying for people's souls at Christmas time. Because that's what Christmas is really about. The Lord did intend to see Israel punished. But it promises that the anger is not going to be forever. A true king would come and would restore God's people. But as I'm already saying, this, this obviously paints a picture of the fundamental dilemma of sin that's on mankind. Humans are sinful. God is holy. God hates sin. He hates it so much it makes him angry and for a lot of reasons. And again, because one of those big reasons, it's not good for us because it takes us away from him. Back in the olden days when I was a a young adult Christian, a seminary guy, we studied a lot of those those uh, tracks that would, back in those days, tracks were so popular. Remember those? They were called chick tracks. Anybody? Just me? Me? Okay, the two old guys. We know about chick tracks. And they would talk about it, and there would be these drawings on these tracks, and we still have them around. But there would be these drawings about how there's the person on this side and God is on the other, and in between is this gulf of sin, just keeping people away. The first time I saw that as a child, I was just so amazed at it. It was so simple to me. And then there would be a bridge drawn or some kind of a connection made. A cross might be laid down. Anybody besides me remember these? Thank you so much. I was feeling really old and lonely there for a minute. But, you know, the cross might fall down, and then that person could walk across on the cross or on the bridge and find God. It was so beautiful to me as a kid. And I would share that with people and share it with my friends and, and talk to them about this wonderful thing about Christ and how that sin doesn't have to be a problem for you. Just meet the God who conquers it all. Just get to know Him. And all the things that sin brings can be forgiven and wiped away. Isn't that incredible? It's a beautiful thing. It's not about God being abusive or out of control. It's just about this sin thing. He's not angry because he has a twisted or a broken personality. It's righteous anger. He's perfect and holy and pure. And we don't get to know him except by his wonderful and glorious Savior, Jesus. John says this anger is a real thing, but there's a problem. John chapter 3, verse 36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. There it is. It's there. It's a real thing. It remains. It stays there until something interrupts it. And that interruption is this baby Jesus. That's what it is. As righteous and as holy as God is, he so perfectly gave us 
a supernatural, unimaginable, joyous solution in a baby. So God sent a Savior. And to the ancient cousins, they couldn't wait for him to be a king and a warrior. But first, he had to come as a baby. The Savior would come and be born in a very simple way. And we have similar problems to those people in our days today, not because armies are forming on our borders, but like I was saying, because sin has lost an attack on the entire world, and it it shows up, and it intimidates, and it destroys, and it captures, and it ruins lives, and it breaks down barriers, takes into captivity. Sin is horrible. God hates it. So he says, just look at the baby. I'm going to handle this problem, but I'm not going to do it in a way that you're imagining. First, the Savior has to be a baby. Now, that's amazing to me. And it says the hope of this child is that he is born to us. I love that. That, that speaks to me. To us, a child is born. This is critical to me because, you know, most often when you think about a baby being born, you think about, you know, a, a child was born to Mary and Joseph. Or somebody else that you might know, if you were to see an announcement in a newspaper, it would be a, a baby was born to the Allen family today. Wouldn't that be something? I'm too old for that. But anyway, they're born to people. But the scripture says the baby will be born to us. Would you say us? Ready? Us. You get it? We're family. This baby is for us. They're born not just to Mary and Joseph, that's important, but the baby would come to us because his birth was not simply about being a blessing to his parents. His birth was not simply to bring another human on the earth. It was about something way bigger than that. So he specifically, carefully said, to us this child will come. This child will be more than a blessing to his parents and that family, but he will be a blessing and a part of the whole world. So so here's the note in your bulletin today if you want to take it very simple note but it's really rich and deep if you'll allow it to be jesus came as a baby for you okay get that let that sink in to us the child is born for you a child's been born from the very beginning god planned that you would be family with jesus from the very beginning this was meant to be a family thing And this is a real flesh and blood baby born into the family of the world. And and this baby is going to take care of 100% of the problem of all the attacks of the enemies ever to come. And the baby Jesus in a manger is a precious sight to us as we're believers. It's, it's, it's beautiful and it's normal for us to think of him as cozy and, and sweet and, and precious. The, the song says he lays his head down, no crying he makes. The song says he's tender and mild, he's a divine child. And the Bible wants us to understand something, that Jesus came as a baby. Now I believe he cried. I believe he made noises. He did all the things that babies do because God intended this Jesus to come into this earth and live among us. And that's what he told, that's why he had the angel talk to the shepherds in a very specific way. When they came in Luke chapter 2 and the angel came and spoke to those shepherds, they said, here's how it's going to go. I want you to go see this new king. You need to look for a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Those were signs. This is how they're going to find him. Three signs. 
He would be a baby. He would be wrapped in something called swaddling clothes, and he would be laying in a manger. Now, no matter how much study you do about mangers and swaddling clothes, and people have done them forever and ever and ever, the manger is a term for some kind of a feeding trough or a stand, wooden or stone or otherwise, but it's a place where animals ate. And swaddling clothes, as some have tried to make it more than what I think it really is, I think it was just wrapped tightly in these strips of cloth. It's what I believe. There's all kinds of things to look at there, but very simply it's saying, you need to go look for a baby. Now that's rich to me. Wrapped tightly in a manger. A real baby. A real human baby. God of salvation started this whole experience just like I did as a baby. Man. It's important because he he doesn't arrive strong. He doesn't arrive as a fancy prince or a warrior. He starts as all of us do, helpless. And God, for some reason, wants you and me to know that, to cherish it. And I think it's about a lot of things. But one, I think it's about knowing that Jesus has walked in our shoes. Jesus played on the ground and he had to grow as a boy. And as hard as that is to grasp, it's about God coming to live among us and not only live among us, but to be one of us. That's amazing. Emmanuel, he's perfect and good. He's our savior, but he's a savior who wants to solve our problems and speak to us in ways from the inside out. And that leads me to the next note, simply this, Jesus came to experience your world. He came to walk in the shoes of humanity. And God wants us to know that. God wants us to know that our Savior came to experience what we experience. And the Bible is very clear that he did experience everything. You can't ever say to God, God, you don't get it. God, you don't understand. You can't say that to him because he does understand. He understands human weakness He understands hunger. He understands what it's like to run through a field. He understands what it's like to trip and fall. He also understands temptation. That's hard for me to grasp, but he does. One of the wonderful roles that Jesus came to fulfill as he just replaced all of religion is the role of a priest, particularly the high priest who made the sacrifices for the people so that they could receive salvation. It was a, a great importance to the people for them to be a, a priest. And, 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 and in order to really fulfill this concept of, of a complete and wonderful Jesus, he had to understand what it meant to be a priest. This priest was greatly important. He was a, a representative of God, and he was a human representative of God. And Paul wrote about that in Hebrews chapter 4, and it's really big. Verse 15 and 16, he says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So, Paul says, Let us approach God's throne of grace with a confidence What's that confidence about? It's a confidence knowing he gets it. He understands. He gets me. 
It's one of my favorite passages, I think, because I just need it. It says, so let's approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we can receive the mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Have you ever had a time of need? Anybody? Raise a hand. Anybody? Yeah. Time of need. What is a time of need? A time of need is when there's something that needs to happen or be present or take place that you can't control. You don't have it. Can't buy it. Can't fix it. You you can't solve the equation. It's a time of need. Just one of the beautiful things that this baby did was he made it possible for us to be able to go to him in a time of need, and he would understand. So God didn't solve his anger problem with an angelic entrance or a bold, grandiose bolt of lightning. He gave it to us, this gift as a child. So here's something else you need to believe, very simply. Jesus came to be your gift. That's what I'm getting to. For to us a child is given I think it'd be great if you're a journaler to write, to me, a child was given. To me, a gift was given. As I said, I get so excited about giving gifts at Christmas time. It's in imagining the response of people as they open their gifts. I know Beth loves that too. And that child born so many years ago in a town called Bethlehem is not only God with us, but he's God for us. He's to us and for us because Jesus is a gift. A gift. It's incomprehensible. The fact that he is born gives us the light of hope. Hope for today. Hope for right this moment. Hope for tomorrow. I don't care what the situation is. He understands and he has a path for us. And that's the gift. So we need to receive the words of the prophecy. He's going to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. All that wrapped up. That's a whole sermon series about how he is those things. But all that means is that's your gift. All that. That is if you want it. All gifts need to be received and opened. Gosh, you know, we're just humans, and so we look for hope in so many places, guys. We look for hope in other people. We look for hope in government. We look for hope in success. But all those things have caveats. All of them have weaknesses. I was in conversations this week with the VA. They've been good to me. They do my health coverage. And we were discussing some challenges and maybe taking some steps about some things and the paperwork and the, the bureaucracy there is just phenomenal. Phenomenal bureaucracy. It's a caveat. You can't just go to the VA building and bow before it and pray. You have to wade through all this. And usually there's going to be a no that you receive about something. They've been very good to me. They've said yes, and I'm so grateful for all the things they've done for me. But in government, in people, in life, in success, there's always a weakness. There's always a shoe that drops. We got a letter this week from the Oklahoma Tax Commission. It's not even our name. They have Beth's name on it, but some other guy 
I don't know what's going on, Beth. But some other guy and Beth, and we, we owe some money, or she does, with this other guy. <laughs> always a caveat, always a thing. Not with God. The path is clear. The door always opens. It's incredible. It's incredible. He grew up, this baby, to be the Jesus that we think about the most. And he was all those things. We saw him as he worked his way through ministry. And he radicalized the way the world would come to see God. He challenged authorities. He pushed back on religion. And then he came to this incredible moment that we sang about this morning. And it's another Messianic prophecy. And I want to wrap up with this. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. And I want to remind you of this. This same baby... Symbolized by this baby, it says this. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we're healed. Like sheep, we've all gone astray. Each of us have turned our own way. And, and get this, what the Lord says about his son, this baby. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In short, this baby was born not just to be celebrated as a king, but to give his life as what Mark calls a ransom. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. Guys, that's goodness. That's incredible goodness. So whatever your list is of things you want this year, I hope you move to the top of it a deeper richer, fuller experience and understanding the goodness of God for 2022. I pray you open up your gift of goodness. As I've said almost every week, I'm excited. I'm praying for each of you for the new year. I don't know why the Holy Spirit's led me that way, but I'm just praying about your new year. And I pray that you allow God to speak to you about His goodness so that you become this just massively hope-filled, joy-filled, worshiping individuals showing the love of God everywhere you go. See, Santa says you have to be good to get his gifts, not Jesus. He forgives you. You can be bad, awful even, undeserving, broken. Nevertheless, you have a gift. Let's open it up for Christmas, guys. That's goodness. Would you bow your heads? with me this Sunday before Christmas. Father, I thank you for your amazing and phenomenal grace.